Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thanks for all being here this morning. I'm proud of you all. I am feeling that hour, I will say. Uh, last night it was kind of fun. It kind of, everything kind of worked together where I don't know, 11 o'clock, a car alarm just started going off down the street, and you're just kind of laying there like, Lord, I know they probably don't have to preach tomorrow, but I'm tired. And then not long after that, all the dogs in the neighborhood start barking at each other, probably to let each other know that they're losing an hour of sleep. I don't know why, but feeling that hour, glad you're here to be with us this morning. Uh, If you don't know, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Revision. I'm excited to be here. Uh, We're continuing our When Pigs Fly series where we've been talking through the miracles or signs of Jesus recorded by one of Jesus' disciples, John. And as I was prepping for this morning, an old story that I had heard before popped into my head of a professor at a seminary who was doing a sermon writing lesson with a class of people who were excited to become pastors. Like they're feeling this call from God, they're excited, they're learning as much as they can before heading into full-time ministry, and the professor has them each write a sermon on the story of the Good Samaritan, which it's the story that Jesus told in the book of Luke, and maybe you've heard it before, but uh, this man is on his way to Jericho, and uh, on the way, a group of people mug him, rob him, uh, leaving him on the side of the street, and person after person just passes right on by. Uh, some even went so far as to like cross to the other side of the street so that they wouldn't be close to this man. But then a Samaritan, who in this time and culture uh, would have been like an enemy of this guy who was mugged, stopped, bent down, helped the guy, bandaged his wounds, got him to a safe place, and helped take care of him. And through this story, Jesus is trying to communicate what it looks like to be a good neighbor, to, to love the people around you, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He's encouraging his followers to follow in his footsteps and be like the Samaritan man in this story, which is a a powerful story. It's powerful for a lot of reasons. And this is the story that these students are meant to be preaching on. And I remember doing this myself in grad school too. Like you get the assignment from your professor and however long you have to finish your topic, you prep, you try hard, give it your best, and you try to get over the fact that it'll be a little weird preaching to a room full of 12 of your peers for a grade, but you you get over it, presentation day, you go. But it was not that simple for these students because their professor was a sneaky son of a gun, and he had one of his friends dress up as a guy, a person in distress, like someone who was in great need of help and fully in character and placed themselves right outside on the sidewalk where he knew that all of his students would need to pass on their way to class. He was a trickster. Set up, and he watched as just student after student rushed by. And one student stopped, but only for a second, just to ask if the guy was okay. And when he said he needed help, the student apologized, but he had to leave because he had to get to class to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Like the irony is super thick here, and I'm so thankful that my professors never did this to me because, again, as much as I would like to listen to the story and think, I would have 
definitely stopped, done the right thing, 100%, like it totally helps no matter how much class I missed. In fact, I probably would have been so just aware in that moment that I would be thinking about how I could talk about this in the sermon I'm about to give in class. That It's going to be great. They'll applaud my holiness for sure. And, and as much as I'd like to think that, I also have a hard time seeing myself slowing down on the way to class. And I'm not super proud to admit that, but I, I feel like I, I would have been so focused on what I was doing, where I needed to be, the, the task I had in front of me that I might have just cruised right on by. Maybe best case scenario thinking, oh, I'll just I'll come back after class. If he's still here, then I'll see. I'll have time. I can, I can help. Anybody else? I, I'm curious what you think your reaction might be if you were one of those students. Because I think we all know the right answers, Right? But if we're honest, like, it's reality. We live in the real world. We've got things to do, responsibilities. We can't just be stopping all the time to help people or, or be there for someone, right? Like, if, if they caught me at a better time, then I, I probably could have done something, but I'm I, sorry, I'm in a rush. We've all been there, right? Can you think of a time or maybe uh, this question, have you ever been in a situation where you've let your calendar override your compassion? See, a lot of us, we live by our calendars. We've got our routines. We, we do our best to anticipate what's coming next. Even more broadly, we have certain ideas or understandings or our worldview that shapes how we think and act. And in our culture today, these things make it really hard for us to see outside of ourselves, right? And, and we slip into autopilot, which I think shrinks our capacity for compassion. Does that make sense? Have you ever been in a situation where you've let your calendar override your compassion? You know, I think we all have. And what we're going to see today as we take a look at John 5 together and we look at this next sign from Jesus is that even though this is a tendency for us as humans, we don't have to stay like that. We can flip off autopilot and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, showing compassion to the world around us. Because God knows we could use a little more compassion in our world right now. The question, though, is how? Well, let's see what John has to say. If you've got your Bible with you, uh, you can open it up to John 5, or you can follow along on the screen or in the Revision app. Uh, if you need a Bible, please grab one from the Next Steps table. Uh, they are free, and we love seeing them disappear. If you're watching online and you'd like a Bible, just let us know in your digital connection card, and we'll get one to you. Uh, but we're picking up right where we left off last week. Last week, Mike talked us through the story of Jesus healing an official son from, not quite, but just about like here to Ames away over a great distance. And he reminded us that there is no part of our lives that Jesus wants no part of. And if you didn't hear that message, definitely encourage you to go back and listen to it. But today, we're picking up right where we left off in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been there for 38 years. Now, quick time out. Uh, one thing I love about the way that John and other New Testament writers, uh, the way that they write is that he includes these kinds of details. Because at first glance, they might just seem like some gloss over uh, details or sentences on our way to the miracle, but these sentences actually make the Bible more reliable. 
Because you see, if we were just to have some fun together, do some quick literary analysis and some looking into textual reliability, maybe you do that in your spare time sometime, you would learn that these detailed descriptions and events and places, like we just read, like the the specific pool and it being in Bethesda and it has the five covered colonnades and there was a guy there who had been there for 38 years, like these specific details... That, that helped paint a picture but not necessarily advance the plot are found nowhere else in ancient fiction. If we all nerd out on this for a second, realism in fiction writing didn't come along until more than a millennium later. So, either the New Testament writers were a thousand years ahead of their time as they made up these random stories, or this is in fiction, which is kind of cool, right? John included these details because he was describing a place that he had been to and seen and experienced, and he was describing it to people who would also know where he was talking about. Like, oh yeah, Bethesda, that's the place, the pond, columns, yeah, I know the one. Anyway, so there's this guy who had been at this place for 38 years. And then in verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd probably guess that the next verse says something along the lines of, uh, yeah, I do, actually. It seems like a silly question by Jesus. Like someone who has been unable to walk for 38 years and Jesus comes along and he asks, do you want to get well? Again, it seems like a pretty easy yes to me. Do you want to get well? Then again, you know, the, the more I thought about it, I'm not sure everyone does. It may, it may not be as easy of a yes as I had originally thought, because, you know, sometimes getting well is harder than staying sick. Sometimes getting help calls for more humility than staying sick. Sometimes staying sick, you, you get things that you won't get if you get well. And the more I, I thought about this question from Jesus, the more I thought he would probably invite us into that same conversation as he did with this man. Because, I don't know, maybe for you, it could be that habit, and you keep going like, yeah, 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 I know. Or maybe it's your, your physical condition, condition, and you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I need, I need to, yeah, yeah. It could be the, the way that you date. It's the same thing, just over and over and over again, and it just keeps bringing you back to square one, but maybe just this time a little more hurt than the time before. Or the way that you treat your spouse, that maybe isn't quite the, the servant-hearted love that you vowed to them at the altar. Maybe the, the way that you keep turning to alcohol and you don't even realize just how much it's not only hurting you, but your, your family and the ones who are helping keep you afloat. Maybe drugs, porn, social media, shopping, comparison. You know, come to think of it, this might not be such a silly question after all. Might be a, a good one for anyone who feels stuck in this routine of sin in your life to just go home and ask yourselves in the mirror, like, do you want to get well? Here's the thing if you have the capacity and the potential and the resources, and you live in a world where you can get well, as someone made in the image of God, you, you honor God, you honor yourself, and you honor the people who love you if you would just get some help and get well. But now, back to the story. Uh, What we can see from this question is that Jesus isn't just going to walk up to this guy and heal him, whether he wants to be healed or not. He asks him this very important and intentional question, and he invites this guy into a conversation. But 
the thing is, this guy didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't realize that it was Jesus or that the God of the universe was standing right in front of him. And so when Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? His reply, it's honest. Like, it's what he knows. He says, sir, I, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And now this is significant because this pool, like the specific place uh, where all of these people are gathered together that John describes, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, where all of these people are gathered, the reason they were all in this place is because this pool was thought to have magical healing properties. It was a natural spring, and so occasionally the waters would begin to move, and it was believed that when the waters would begin to move, it was because an angel had come down and started moving the waters, and that the first person who could get into the water would then be healed of their specific ailment. And so for this guy, you can imagine that this is like his last resort. Again, it's, it's been 38 years, which let's put into perspective, the life expectancy was only about 40 at this time. And so this guy is old, he's towards the end of his life, and yet holding on to hope that he just might be able to get into this pool. I imagine it's probably got to be the sad scene, like bodies being tossed into the water in hopes of healing and people clawing their way to the front just to get into this water. And so for this guy, there's not a lot to be hopeful for. He can't get in. He's been trying for years, but he can't make it into the pool first. And his response to it makes it clear that he couldn't really see past the waters as his healing agent. Just like I think oftentimes for us, we, it's hard to see beyond ourselves when we need help to get well. It's like, oh, I'll fix it. Don't worry, I just need to find a way to get into that pool, but I'll figure it out. I got my own ways. I don't, I don't need help. But then comes the miracle, the, the next verse. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And I think it's really important here that we pause and we recognize just the incredibleness of Jesus in this moment. Because I think sometimes we get so used to Jesus doing miraculous things. And familiarity, it breeds contempt. We just like yawn. Like, yeah, Jesus, oh. Guy couldn't walk for 38 years. He told him to get up and just heal him. Cool, I guess. I don't know. Call me when he rises from the dead. I'm a little bored here with these miracles. Like, we get so used to Jesus doing things that only God can do, we forget that he's doing things that only God can do. It's unreal. It's a miracle. Jesus walked into this place that people avoided like the plague, like probably because it looked and it smelled and it felt a lot like the plague, but Jesus, he walks in. And why he picks this one guy and not everybody, I don't know, but he meets this guy where he's at and then he changes his life forever. But what comes next is what makes the story a sign and not just like a nice, random, act of kindness miracle. Because if we, if we stop the story here, it would be a perfect nursery rhyme-like story that we could wrap a neat little bow on, we could point to how much Jesus loves people. And while all of that is true, that's not the main point of this story. John tells us that the point of this sign was actually to point us towards what Jesus really wanted to communicate that day. John continues writing, and he includes this important detail. He says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. 
which actually, quick time out, no, it didn't. You see, the, the religious leaders at this time had two laws that they followed. The written law from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and this is what we think of when we uh, think back to the Old Testament law, but there was also a spoken law, the tradition of the elders. And this, it's this oral tradition that was spoken and passed on through generations that was developed over time and that these religious leaders viewed equally with the written law of Moses. And so when these Jewish leaders say this guy can't carry his mat because it's Sabbath, he was actually breaking their rules, not God's rules. You see, while, while these guys were really hung up on their rules, they completely missed the compassion. Here's this guy that, that these religious leaders had probably seen. Likely they'd been walking past and scoffing at him for years and years and years. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they see that he's been healed wasn't celebration. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, is that really you? Like, how did this happen? This is amazing. It wasn't anything like that. There was no celebration. The first words are how he's breaking the Sabbath. You see, in Exodus 20, when it talks about the Sabbath, God, what he's saying is he's telling us to take a break from our job, from our labor, from our work, not from our compassion. But hang on to that thought. I'm getting a little head ahead of myself here. Uh, so there are these leaders. They're mad at this guy for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Again, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's probably thinking like, you've got to be kidding me. I just got up, now I'm already in trouble. It's not even me. This guy, he came back by, he healed me. Go find him. He told me to do it. And so they asked him, all right, who, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And John keeps writing, I'm going to finish up the story here, and as I read, I just want you to notice the claims that Jesus makes when he's talking to these Jewish leaders. It says, that later Jesus, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Like, ah, Jesus, that's it. Like, it's tip of my tongue, go yell at him, all right, quit getting on my case or picking up my mat for the first time in 38 years, okay? So we keep going. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father has always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. But for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And that's what I like to call just this sweet mic drop moment for Jesus. Like Jesus, he poked the bear. He, he saw a beehive. He didn't just poke at it. He took a baseball bat and a running swing and obliterated it. But not so much that so he could like throw his hand on his nose and go, hey, hey, like I'm God. It stinks to be you. No. It was so that he could communicate to these religious leaders that this like hardcore, legalistic, unbiblical, hate-filled, fear-mongering, earning your way to God while stepping on pins and needles, hoping that you don't mess up too bad this way of religion is not right. There's a couple interesting things to point out in this story. 
Did you notice how the man who was healed showed no sense of like awe or thankfulness towards Jesus? He didn't thank Jesus. There was no crowd to be in awe of Jesus. It was a moment that Jesus, his disciples, and this guy saw, which is abnormal for these writings in the Bible. It shows that for John, like who witnessed this happen, he's recalling this moment with Jesus. This sign points beyond itself to who Jesus is, the eternal life giver. Jesus uses this moment, like this miracle of epic, epic proportions. Like he pokes at the bear and swings at the beehive to show that one, they've got their picture of how God works all wrong. And two, not only that, but I am one with the Father. Like if you want to see how your picture of God is wrong, all you have to do is look to me. And the great tragedy of this story is that these Jewish leaders, in their concern for legal obedience, miss the coming of the one who is life itself. In their concern for the study of the law, they miss the coming of the one whom the law spoke of. And their discipleship of Moses, it keeps them from following their Messiah. They missed it. Again, they were so focused on the written word that they forgot, like as John writes in chapter 1, that the word became flesh and he walked with us. They missed it. And I can't help but wonder how often I miss it. How often I let my own stuff get in the way of what Jesus wants me to do and what he wants for my life. And so the question becomes, okay, how do I not miss it? How do you not miss it? Like John, how how can we see it? How, How do we see the work of Jesus in our lives like John did? You know, it's, it's worth mentioning, John didn't follow Jesus blindly. He followed Jesus because of what he saw and what he heard. Like, he saw Jesus, the Messiah, performing all of these signs and wonders. He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. John, he did life with Jesus. He followed him, saw him crucified on a cross and then rise again. John didn't follow Jesus blindly. And we don't have to either. And you might be thinking, like, yeah, okay, Jeff, well, I don't see Jesus here, so how are we going to do that? Well, I actually have him right backstage. If you want to come out, Jesus, you can... No. Like, while he may not be physically here, he gave us what he said was even better, the Spirit, who lives and moves and breathes through each of us who is working every single day, no days off. Like, we serve an active God, and if you want to see him move, I really think it could be just as simple as you just have to look. See how he's worked in your life, through, through your family, through the church, through your community, through the scriptures. I, I, I can't have you leaving here this morning forgetting this. Jesus is who he said he is. And knowing that, like seeing him work in our lives, seeing how he's worked in the lives of people before us, that should be all of the motivation we need to follow in his footsteps and show compassion to the people we encounter. Now, I don't know about you, I am kind of a natural cynic by nature. And there might be a few of you in the room too or you're watching online and you're thinking, okay, yeah, well, Jeff, that's just not good enough for me. That's not enough motivation. And I get it, but my challenge for you would be to, to try it. 
Try looking for the ways God has blessed you. How he's blessed the people around you, the church, the, the world. Read the accounts of Jesus and see what he did. Ask others how they've seen God working in your life. Just try it. And if that's not still or still not enough for you, I can't help but look back to the question that Jesus asked and just wonder, okay, do you want to get well? And again, not everyone does, but my honest prayer is that you would. And here's why. One, because I care, and I think this stuff really matters. And two, because when we figure this stuff out, when we, like John, when we realize who Jesus really is and we start to follow him and walk in his footsteps, we become compassionate for the people Jesus showed compassion towards. We begin shedding the weight of the rules and systems and ideologies and politics that we so easily let take over and we begin to show compassion to the people around us. Even if they don't exactly think and act and talk like us either. Not super easy to do though. Really good in theory, but not always the easiest to do, right? Because if you remember from earlier, we tend to live by our calendars. Whether it be our Google calendar or just our routine or we just fly by the seat of our own ideas, once we create that rhythm, it's really hard to break free. Even, I'd say, for those of us who are in this room listening with the best of intentions of going out and showing compassion to everyone that you see, it's not always easy to click off that autopilot. It's really easy to get into religious leader mode and just check the boxes of our day. Okay, let, me, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to get off stage for a second, and I want everyone to kind of take your own little self-assessment as I do this. And I just want us to imagine together, we play pretend for a second on Sunday morning, we're all sitting together, and maybe Jeremy's up there rocking away, not breaking strings, doing whatever he's doing up there. This is amazing grace. The reason he's a worship pastor, or maybe Mike's in the middle of a sermon, and he's preaching, and so we're in the middle of service, and bear with me for a second, someone walks in, we're singing away. We get like a, hey, hey, sorry, hey. Hi, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm realizing now maybe this isn't the best time to do this. But I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm just, my life's falling apart. I saw this was a church. I thought maybe you could help. I didn't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, someone help. I don't know what to do. And I want us to think for a second, if we're just all, Sitting here together, can I sit here for a second? You're not waiting for anyone to come back from the bathroom who'd be super weirded out right now. But we're all sitting here together, and I want to know, like, what do you think your first thought would be? So we're, we're worshiping together, and someone comes in, hey, I, I need help. Would your first thought sound anything like, this waited till afterwards? Like, this seems like a weird time to be doing this. Or maybe it's more like, gee, uh, you know, Mike, he talks and he talks and I don't want this to go long and lunch is coming at noon, so let's keep this show on the road. Or maybe it's just a more simple, like, shh, the thing, you're ruining my Sunday. Like, I got my church thing happening here. Or maybe you were in the bathroom the whole time and you're weirded out by, you walk in and aren't really sure what's going on. 
But the question I want to ask is, again, what do you think your first reaction would be? If, if someone walked in and, and interrupted your plans because they needed help, what would you do? See, there, there's two main things that I want us to get from this morning. There's two main things that John wants us to understand as we read this chapter. One, again, Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of God with complete authority over all of creation. He's the living word who came to make a way for us to connect with God in spite of our brokenness and sin. Jesus is who he said he is. And two, compassion is more important than our calendar. Compassion is more important than your calendar. The hardest part about this message, I think, is that we all understand it on an intellectual level. Like, we're smart people in here. You look smart to me. I, th- I feel like we can figure this out together. And maybe even you live it out at times, but I still think we tend to default to our own autopilot and rhythms instead of de- defaulting to the rhythms of Jesus. And the rhythm of Jesus is compassion. And I think we all want to be like that. We want to be more like that. We see the need for compassion in our world, and something in us definitely notices the gap between what we see and how it should be. We want to be more compassionate, right? Can't be too many people who wake up in the morning just dreaming about being a jerk. Like, I imagine there's some. I imagine there's some because I see some looks being thrown back and forth like, hey, hey, shout out, pastor's talking about you at church. But if that's you, we've got an excellent series coming up on relationships down the line here this year. You can come back for that one. But really, we, we all know those types of people, right? We've seen them, talked to them, maybe even been hurt by them, been put off by them. The, the people who rush to class to give their presentation about helping people on the street all the while avoiding them on the way to class. People who are far too quick to point out your pitfalls, unable to recognize your progress. They, they almost seem excited to point out all of the ways that you aren't quite measuring up. They lack compassion. We all know those people. That's not a person who's walking closely in the footsteps of Jesus. You don't want to be that guy, right? Now, can we actually, I want to go back to the first question that I asked earlier in the service, if we could pull that up. Have you ever been in a situation where you've let your calendar override your compassion? Again, I'm sure we all have. But what if we left here today asking this question instead? What would it look like if compassion ruled my calendar? What would it look like if compassion ruled my calendar? What if instead of worrying if I've fit enough compassion into my schedule, we lived a life of compassion that had trouble not being a part of our day? See, I want to send us home with a a challenge today. I know it might not be the most exciting thing to feel like you're getting homework at church, but I, I want us... I want to challenge you as you go home today and throughout the week to take a little self-assessment. Like, get out a pen and paper, get out your phone, and ask yourself these questions. What's more important in my life? My calendar or compassion? 
You can ask yourself this too. Is your version of religion or politics or whatever getting in the way of loving people God loves? And the last one, if someone interrupted your day because they needed help, what's your reaction? And I, I think this little, just asking ourselves these three questions could help us take a step in the direction of becoming a little bit closer to Jesus. My hope and prayer is that in those moments, like when, when we experience these interruptions, we'd be able to take one step closer to Jesus and show the world around us the same compassion that Jesus showed when he walked this earth. Again, he, he poked the bear of hyper-religious legalism and, and selfish thinking to make the world a better place and draw people back to himself. And we get to be a part of that mission and, and show that same type of love to the world around us, which is so cool. You guys pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you so much for being a personal God. A God who doesn't just come to this earth to tell us what to do, but you showed us. Like you walked before us, you created a path in which we could follow. Thank you so much for that, God. But it's so easy to fall into autopilot mode, to just get stuck with blinders on into where we're going. And I pray that you would just break down the walls in me, that you would break down the walls in every single one of us in this room that is just focused on what we're focused on rather than the people around us. I just pray that you'd fill us with compassion. Again, help us take steps closer to you so that we could be people of compassion that point the world towards you so that when people look at us, they could not help but see you. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.